And we're live. Yeah. Hey, Stephen, how you doing? Good. How are you, David? I'm great. We've uh, we've got a couple people that are in the waiting room. We're just gonna let people filter in here for a few minutes, um, and uh, then we'll get you to introduce yourself and everything. Tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, buyers and business brokers. We're going to be talking about some of your experience and uh, how business buyers can get brokers to take them more seriously. So I'm going to play the introduction and then we'll we'll get into learning more about you. How about that? Sounds good. All right. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Well, awesome. So we're, we're here, we're live. Everyone, this is Stephen Beal. Stephen, um, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself. Why don't we start off by giving everyone an idea of, of where you are and the type of brokerage that you run and the sort of people that you help, uh, and then we'll get a little bit into your backstory. Okay, sounds good. I'm currently uh, based in uh, Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. Uh, we are looking to expand, or we are expanding across the country. Uh, so we'll be we'll have offices in Toronto, Winnipeg. Um, Regina, um, Calgary, and uh, Vancouver uh, over the next uh, few months, but um, but we work primarily uh, at, at least here locally in Manitoba. We're, we're generalists, so we work with businesses of uh, of all sizes, ranging from a couple of hundred thousand in enterprise value up to you know five or ten million in in enterprise value. Um, in terms of our broader scope, uh, what we're looking at as we expand Canada-wide, we're going to focus on specific niches like insurance agencies, uh, accounting practices, uh, pharmacies, businesses that we know or uh, uh, that we're familiar with, that we've done a lot of transactions with uh, here in Manitoba. And we know there's a demand, uh, both buyers and sellers, uh, for those types of consistent uh, um, uh, uh, businesses uh, out there. And, you know, people out there who are tuning in live, uh, I noticed some of you have started to hit thumbs up. Thank you very much. Please, please do hit the like button. It really does help the algorithm. Um, comments are welcome. And uh, as we wind towards the end of the conversation, we're going to get into a part where we'll, we'll get Stephen and I will discuss some of the questions and comments that, that live viewers leave for us. Um, Stephen, when did you, can you tell us about your journey that led you into business brokerage? Because you obviously didn't start off in your career as a broker. What, how did you end up? Like, what was your path that brought you into brokerage? Uh, it was a long and convoluted path, I think, uh, with a lot of brokers and a lot of advisors. So I, I spent a large part of my career uh, as a financial analyst at uh, one of Canada's major banks, uh, both in Montreal and in Toronto, so a bit of time in both uh, both cities, and uh, it, it's a great experience. You learn a lot working inside a bank, um, but it's b banks are big and bureaucratic. So I started. I had, was looking around, and I I had a dream of owning my own business. So I started looking at uh, potentially buying a business. And um, <clears throat> and the more I looked at businesses, the more I, I was interested by the whole 
profession of how people bought and sold businesses and how were they valued and you know being a being a financial analyst uh, mindset I you know want to dig into the numbers and uh, and I realized there's a, there's a there's an opportunity there a lot of the people I was dealing with just weren't didn't wouldn't speak to me on a on a financial analysis uh, level and uh, so at some point in this journey when uh, when I uh, um, when I couldn't find a business that I really liked, I thought I'm just going to start a business of advising people uh, on how to buy and sell businesses. And so uh, we do, we, we act as business brokers, but we also ask, act as advisors. Uh, uh, we do formal business valuations. I'm a charter business valua valuator as well. So we do formal business valuations for tax and estate planning purposes or divorce situations. So we, we have a boutique advisory firm uh, here in uh, here in Manitoba. And like I said, that's where we're looking to uh, broaden uh, Canada wide. And and so what what I think is great about your history is that uh, you come at it from the financial numbers analysis side of things. And what I've found is that um, a lot of business brokers come to the world of business brokerage because they have some kind of sales background. Um, and then, but, but they could obviously use some help with the numbers part, with the, with the um, analysis part. And then I find that some other people approach this from a, a similar background to yours, but then they have trouble maybe sometimes reconciling the, the sales and marketing aspect of it. How did you find uh, that, that you fit into that when you started to be a business broker? Did you find it challenging at all to, to pick up the sales and marketing side of things? Uh, yeah, to, yeah, to be honest, I'm, sales is my weak, weak point. Um, I can analyze the numbers uh, with the best of them, but uh, but on the sales side, yeah, I have I have to struggle to uh, you know ask for the sale and do do all the those things uh, the that they teach you in in sales school. So I, I took some courses on sales, and uh, it's still not it's still not uh, my strongest uh, my strongest uh, uh, skill set. Um, but I think I try and overcome that with basically frankness. I mean, I sort of say to both, whether it's a buyer or the seller, like, okay, here are the numbers. Here's what the numbers are telling us. It's up to you. What do you, what do you want to do? I mean, I, I'm not here to try and con convince someone. I think, I think as I was confronting my own weaknesses at the beginning, I thought like maybe someone can talk you into buying a, a $40,000 car that you really don't, really don't want to pay 40,000 for. I'm not going to talk someone into buying a million dollar business because I'm a good salesperson. The numbers <laughs> have to speak for themselves. Like you you, either, you know the you you either can afford that business, you you want that business, it's not going to be because I talk you into it that you're going to buy that business. So um, so I'm in certain elements of uh, sales skills help and but cert certain elements of just negotiation and uh, understanding different points of view like all, all my career up until starting this um you know if anyone's worked for a large organization they know there's there's infinite numbers of uh you know negotiation in in big organizations and bringing together two different parties with opposing views and, and that's essentially what we do and we do that through logic and analysis and not uh not necessarily charm and uh and uh, um, you know, sweet talking people. 
One of my earliest sales trainers back, uh, back when I was in the Yellow Pages game, when I was just out of university, um, explained to me that a good salesperson is simply one who uh, presents opportunities that people have to choose to participate in. And when you look at it from that point of view, you realize, yeah, I mean, ultimately the decisions being made by the person that's, that's on the other side of the table. Um, so I, I speak a lot to people who are out there trying to buy a business and looking for good opportunities. And I hear a lot of feedback and comments from them about their experience with business brokers. In fact, we've even had some some colorful comments that have come into the chat room so far from people who are who have <laughs> had uh, some unpleasant right. experiences, perhaps cool. with business brokers. But um, I'd like to hear about it from your side. Okay, so can you tell us what it's like when you have a, a business, you prepare it, you're ready to talk with uh, someone who might want to to be a buyer? And you go and you and you put that online. What happens next? Can you can you share with us what the experience is like for a business broker? Well, <clears throat> we put it online depending on the systems and processes the broker uses. Uh, in in the old days, typically people would phone up and say, "Tell me more about the business." And uh, nowadays, typically they'll inquire online. And uh, we ask them to uh, fill out uh, a registration form and sign a confidentiality agreement. Um, and when I first started, which is almost 20 years ago, people were reluctant to do that. They just, as someone said to me once, like, well, I, I don't want to sign anything. I just want to do a drive-by to check it out. Um, I don't need to see the financials or anything. It's like, well, the name of the business is what is confidential. I mean, obviously the financials are confidential too, but the name and the location of the business, that's what we're trying to protect. And uh, so we had a bit of pushback when we first started and, and sort of uh, introduced that type of concept in this market. But um, I think people now understand the, the need for confidentiality and the need to sign a confidentiality agreement. Uh, so as we get inquiries, uh, we'll, will I mean that'll be sort of step one hey you got to sign something before we can answer some some questions on this uh, and, uh, and and then uh, as they uh, as they once they've signed it uh, we'll we'll have a discussion with them we'll share with them the information and then uh, go uh, go from there how many inquiries might you get for a business that you have listed for sale um we'll get I mean the stats that we look at are basically to sell one business, we'll typically get 200 inquiries. Right. Um, now, the, the signing of the NDA, uh, typically about half of them sort of self-select out. They don't want to sign the NDA or they or maybe, you know, before we ask them to sign the NDA, we give a bit more information than is available in, online so that they get a bit more uh, information at that point. So maybe they decide, okay, it isn't exactly what they're hoping for. Uh, but but basically half the people drop out just because of the NDA. So that leaves about 100 uh, out of those will have, um, you know, we'll, we'll be talking to all of them. Uh, and they'll either, at this point, the, those 100 have see, received the information. Um, and uh, so they'll have specific questions. Uh, we'll try and answer their specific questions as best as we can, or we'll refer to the owner. Out of that, maybe 10 or 20 will actually have a meeting with the owner, and then one or two might make an offer. And these are obviously broad broad numbers, but that's uh, that's sort of the, the numbers we're dealing with. 
So you and I first met because we got together and we were on one of Ted Leverett's uh, broadcasts where it was uh, called Bridging the Gap. And we talked about different aspects of the buy-sell transaction. And one of the things that Ted often talks about is buyer competition. And uh, again, there's people are putting these really colorful comments in the in the chat. I'm not going to share all these guys, like <laughs> watch the language. Um, but I mean, when people start hearing that you get 200 inquiries and there's 20 people that meet with the owner, I mean, this really highlights just if you have a, a good business, number one, I think you need to have a good business, right? And then if it's presented well and priced reasonably, there's a whole bunch of people just waiting there for that thing to appear, aren't there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what drives this competition. Yeah. Like our biggest constraint, and obviously there's ebbs and flows, there's buyer's market, seller's markets, and it depends on the industry. But our biggest constraint right now is not enough good businesses uh, to sell. And uh, so I, I know where buyers are coming from. They're looking for the, 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 these gems out there. And so are we, um, we're looking for good businesses for sale and in order to represent the, the seller. Uh, Kevin's down in Florida. He says, good evening. Good evening, Kevin. How are you tonight? One of our regular viewers. Um, we have one visitor here who says, I don't want to buy a job. Um, he wants to buy a business where someone else does the work. Um, let's talk about the size of businesses and the types of businesses that uh, that are getting the most sort of response from you. You mentioned that you sell businesses that go from a couple hundred thousand all the way up to like you know, five to 10 million. Do you notice a difference in the way that the buyers are approaching you or reacting depending on which sort of tier the business is available? Like which, uh, which what kind of size the business is? Yeah, certainly the larger businesses, we are getting more sophisticated buyers and, uh, and who understand the process uh, better. Um, and then at the smaller end, uh, our role is a lot of education on both the buyer for both the buyer and the seller, just sort of explaining sort of how the process works and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the bigger the business, the, the less uh, less education that we're doing and more sort of just managing the process uh, uh, from beginning to end. So when you have so many inquiries, how do you make sure that you are, you know, handling each one until it comes to its own termination, whether the, the buyer self-selects out or, or it, how do other people end up terminating? Is it that the seller says, I don't like that person? Or do you ever have to weed some of these people out of the, out of the running because of things that they've said or done or, or failed to deliver, for example? Um, <clears throat> I think we've, we have sort of flagged that we have a CRM to manage the whole process. So we manage the buyers and the sellers through our CRM and there's, we have a, a whole bunch of different, uh, stages in the funnel and uh, had a, um, a sales consultant come in and review my system and uh, and and he was impressed with with all the different steps that we had so so we have you know a buyer one buyer two buyer seven buyer whatever you know it all different gradations and so as uh, as people go through the process we we know where they're at um like i said the nda is sort of the first filter we use um, and, uh, and then, uh, from there it's, uh, it's, you know, once we have the discussion with them and then they, they want to meet the owner and then obviously if they make an offer, um, we, we do have a system if, if there is someone who is just being unreasonable, like we've had people, uh, who've, uh, 
you know, buyers have asked for, you know, every scrap of information. They haven't even met with the owner or made an offer or anything. It's like, okay, all that information is available, but you'll get it during due diligence. Once you've yeah. made made an offer and and uh, and a, and the seller has accepted it, at that point we you know we'll have a, a data room set up, and all that information will be available. But we're not giving you uh, reams and reams of information just to uh, just for someone to come up with an offer that doesn't even work. So you mentioned a CRM. So what you're saying is that you have to you have to have some level of sophistication in, in being able to manage all of these inquiries, and you you give these in, uh, different buyers a number, and you 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 follow them through so that no one kind of falls through the cracks. Would you say, from talking with other people in the industry, that there are a lot of brokers out there that lack that kind of sophistication? Um. I think everyone's at a different stage of, of implementing that. I do know um, I do know the brokers who are more successful and sell more businesses have uh, have better systems. And I was talking to one guy who uh, who uh, has uh, you know a very automated system, so a lot of the the basic tasks are taken care of in an automated fashion. Uh, which, uh, my system isn't quite that sophisticated uh, yet, but uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, and anyone who's trying to do it manually, I mean, would get drowned. I think. What? Um, well, um, how often when you have a new business that you're presenting out for sale? How often is it that you can find the buyer from within the ranks of your your? known people like people who've made inquiries before signed ndas with you before versus it, it's a, a new person that ends up coming from the outside through one of the advertisement uh, websites sorry you're breaking up but i think i understood the gist oh sorry I, i'm asking how often you have a buyer already within your buyer pool versus you need to find a new person via one of the websites out there the uh, so if I understood the gist of your question, like, yeah, we we have a fairly big database of active buyers out there. So uh, so we'll um, we, we'll uh, more often than not, we'll wind up with one of the buyers that's in the database, uh, especially in certain industries. Uh, so the industries I mentioned the beginning that we're focusing on, those are ones that we know we have active buyers for. So, uh, so it, it's, um, you know, if, we, if, if we have any of those industries, uh, or businesses for sale, we'll, we have a, a list of internal buyers who are, who are ready to jump on those. Okay. And so, uh, we've got a, uh, one of the, and, and guys, we will, we will get through the questions. Don't worry. Um, we did have a question here though, about online sell a business, uh, platforms. Um, and just the, the viewers curious what impact the proliferation of all these different seller business platforms is having on, on your business. Do you go out and sign up for every new website that advertises businesses, or do you keep to a certain core or, or well-known websites that you know have been successful? So are we referring to business listing websites or, or ones that are trying to automate the process for sellers? Well, let's start with the first and let's lead into the second. So th th there are some big ones out there for platforms to list businesses for sale. Are you on all of them or do you just pick a few? Um, 
when I first started, we signed up with all of them or all the ones that were out there when we started. And, uh, and then we just winnowed it down based on responses. So, so there, there were a couple out there that did, did well for us. And uh, there are some that, that didn't. So we've uh, narrowed it down to, to a handful. Um, and so, yeah, it is hard to keep up because I've, you know, got emails saying, Hey, list your businesses on our website. And, uh, and, and so it's, it, it'd be hard to, um, It'd be hard to list to all of them. Now, I do under I do believe uh, some people are working on, uh, and I don't understand the technology, but APIs that'll link different ones so that you can list on one and it'll populate ten, and and so something like that would certainly be useful. Yeah, that's what I had back when my business broker when I when I was running an office, and it was through the franchise uh, network I was part of. So if we uploaded a, one of them into our CRM, we could click publish, and it would feed out automatically to four or five of those different online platforms. So it was it was very seamless for me, but um, as an independent office, I, I would imagine it would mean that you would have to go to each one of these sites and upload it if you didn't have a, an automated uh, system set up for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how might, you, you mentioned how sometimes you have qualified buyers in your buyer pool. If I was interested in one of your key industries and I saw your name attached to a listing somewhere, maybe it wasn't the right business for me, but I thought, hey, this office seems to be listing quality businesses. How would somebody make a positive impression in reaching out to you so that you would then see them as a qualified, capable buyer? Let's let's talk a little bit about how people might um, present themselves in a positive way. And maybe you can give us some examples. Um, I know you already gave a few of, of some of the other things that you've seen people do. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think if someone's interested in a specific business, I mean, we've got a process set up for that. And so they, they sign the NDA and, and then we have a conversation and we can get a sense from them. Are, are they, uh, you know, are, do they seem capable to, uh, to, to buy that kind of business? If, if it's more of a general search and they, they want to introduce themselves, I get emails like that all the time. Um, and uh, and and I think um, I think what what I look for is someone who is looking. They know what they're looking for. Um, the the issue is, is, as I mentioned, we get 200 inquiries on every business, so we're dealing with a lot of potential buyers. Um, and so if if someone s says to me, well, you know, I say, well, what kind of business do you want? Well, I don't care. I I can run anything. Uh, it's like okay. And uh, so I always try and reverse engineered on them saying, okay, what about, and I'll mention certain types of restaurants that people either, sorry, certain type of businesses like restaurants that yeah. people either feel, either love them or hate them, right? And so I'll say, oh, what about a restaurant? No, no, I hate restaurants. Okay, so let's sort of try and narrow it down here. Uh, and and so I do the same thing with, with price. Like I say, well, what kind of price range? Oh, anything, uh, I can afford anything. Okay, so what if I have a $50 million business? Are you interested? No, no, that's too high. Okay, right. what about, you know, I go to the other extreme. So I'm trying to narrow people down. And so hopefully if, you know, for someone who's looking to buy a business, the more they can narrow their criteria down themselves mm -hmm. um, and say, okay, I'm looking for a business like this. It fits into this box. I'm, I'm working with one guy here in Manitoba. He's... Uh, and he knows what he wants. It fits in this box. I've, I've sent him a couple of other things and, and he says, no, it doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite fit. So he knows what he wants. So as soon as we find the right business for him, uh, I know he's ready to buy. 
Um, so that someone like that, I can, I can, I'm willing to spend, uh, you know, spend time with and send, send businesses his way. Someone who sort of has no clue what they want. Those are the, those are the ones that I, I try and avoid. I got an interesting comment here uh, from viewer David Frost, and it's got $4.99 on it. I think that means it's a super chat. If it is, it's the first one I've ever received. And I hope I filled out that part in YouTube so it knows where to send the money. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate that. Um, David asks, I'm 18 and want to buy a bookkeeping business. Are banks and owners ageist against someone my age? So have, you know, the, you know, the, I think this is great because it's very apropos to what you're just talking about. Is do you is there some degree maybe of uh, discrimination that some buyers might face? And in, in David's example, he's talking about the fact that he's only eighteen years old. That's a good question. To my earlier point, he's specified what he's looking for, so that's very good. yeah, very clearly. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the banks do look at your background and experience, mm -hmm. um, so uh, they will say. Uh, to someone, okay, you're going to buy, uh, I don't know, uh, HVAC business. You know, you might want to have experience in that field. For for uh, this guy looking to buy a bookkeeping business, um, you know, if he's got some training at least, I mean, some high school uh, bookkeeping, uh, and he, he knows maybe he's helped his parents in their business doing books on the side, uh, some background would help. So it's not, I mean, discrimination is a, is a, is a nasty word. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily discrimination as opposed to saying, okay, do you, do you have the skills to run this business? Yes. At 18, you could certainly have four or five years of bookkeeping experience. So obviously it's not, that's, that would certainly help. Um, and it, and it depends on like if, if he's trying to buy a million dollar accounting and bookkeeping practice and they needs to borrow 950,000, I think he might have trouble. But if he's looking to buy a small uh, book of business, like twenty-five or 50000 uh, you know, he might be able to do it. Well, and I, and I think, you know, David, at, especially at uh, the age of 18 years old, I think that um, there could very well be some opportunities to look for someone in the bookkeeping field who has an intention of retiring in the next couple of years and maybe talking with that person, working out some kind of deal where you join the practice. Yeah. and develop some experience with the clientele that's actually there and then you know move towards some kind of acquisition yeah. um you've yeah. certainly got a lot of runway ahead of you david uh to uh to figure that out um i've got a i've got a promotional message that i have to read here just one oh. second so listen up everyone um this episode of uh, david c barnett small business and deal making is brought to you by the smbpodcastnetwork.com and the network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information all about small and medium-sized businesses and for entrepreneurs. And if you visit smbpodcastnetwork.com, you can find out more, learn about other hosts that are sharing their shows like this one. Uh, and you can subscribe to an email list where you'll get an, an email every week that has all the latest episodes from all the different affiliated hosts and it's a great way to discover uh, new quality content. So if you're interested in business and entrepreneurship, I highly recommend you visit the site and sign up for the email list over there. Look at that. We're, this is a going concern now. You know, this, this wow. YouTube channel. We've got super chats and we have sponsorships. Wow. 
it's oh. taking care of business. Do you have any merchandise you're going to sell as well? Oh, you know what? Logos, hats. Open to licensing deals if anyone else has to handle that. Um, if I can just comment on sort of just before uh, we got into the commercial break, talking about uh, being specific. So I like dealing with buyers who know what they want. Um, and they don't have to know everything, but at least sort of they have, they've narrowed the focus somewhat. There is a risk of being over specific uh, because I, I do get a lot of inquiries from people who are saying, I'm looking for, and we'll have a laundry list of things. And, and, and some of them are like, you know, they'll be identical and they're all like, they want the, the latest in, you know, this, that, and the other, and they want, um, and, and so it's, it's so specific, it's to the extreme and quite frankly, it's basically unrealistic. And maybe the maybe there is a business out there that that uh, um, that matches that, but essentially they're looking for the unicorns out there uh, that are worth the fortune, and uh, they want to they want to do it with the vendor financing, etc., uh, etc. Et and it's like, okay, yeah, those. So if you're if you have no clue what you're looking for, then it, it's uh, it, it's hard to deal with that. If you're very very specific. And maybe this is because I'm sitting in Manitoba and we don't have unicorns here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> although I think the people that skip the dishes might disagree with that, but uh, but uh, we um, we we just uh, it, it's not um, you know <laughs> we we don't have too many of those multi-billion-dollar businesses lying around. Uh, waiting. Well, but you know, I mean, how big is Winnipeg? It's it's more about three quarters of a million people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Manitoba, Winnipeg and the surrounding rural areas, I mean, uh, most of North America has a lot in common with with yeah. the market that you're in as yeah. far as the size and, and everything. And and um, one of the things that I've learned over the course of time is it doesn't matter if you're in a smaller locality, uh, the opportunities are still out there. Um, and I find that the the smaller the communities, the the, the better the networks that uh, social networks between business owners and other people and everything might be. Um, do, do you think that there's a big difference between what you're doing in Winnipeg and what you've heard from other colleagues in bigger centers about how the business for sale marketplace works? Mm, that's, a, that's a good point. I, yeah, probably not. I mean, the, it seems to be similar all across North America. Um, you know, people in bigger centers seem to deal with, you know, bigger businesses, but then some of that is just sort of their focus. So. Yeah. Um, David asked another question. If you buy a million dollar business, how much should you put down in cash? And it, it would depend on, in my books anyway, on the, the type of business and what the makeup, the assets within the business. And, and uh, so there's a lot of, it depends, but you're going to need some kind of down payment, especially if you're going to use bank financing, because the bank is going to want to see that you have an equity position some skin in the bank, a skin in the game, as it were. Um, Colton has a question. Do you recommend confidence letters from investors? How should that be written if so? And so uh, I believe what Colton's asking about is if a buyer has other investors backing them up, what, uh, what would, let's just ask it this way. Um, if you had a buyer come to you and say, I've got some investors that are going to invest with me, what is your response to that? What do you want to see to make sure that this is serious money? 
Certainly, yeah, a letter a letter would help. I, I don't know if you need it in the at the you know step one of the process, but certainly as we're getting into letters of intent, um, then yeah, having a letter from the investor saying yes, I'm I, uh, I I back this. I think one of the questions we do ask when we get the letter of intent is yeah, where where's the money coming from, and uh, at what point do we do we talk to the actual person with the money? Money like a an actual a letter it, it, it's useful, but if we're talking to someone who who's just presenting the letter, it's like okay, well when do we talk to the decision maker? Because the, the seller will want to talk to the decision maker, not necessarily the person who's got a letter saying uh, the decision maker, trust me. Um, I mean, it, it certainly helps, but uh, at some point we, we need all the decision makers in a room. You know, it's, it's interesting when, when I had my brokerage office open and I would meet the, the, investor backed entrepreneur who would come in and say, you know, my aunt May is going to be giving me the money for the down payment. My, my next thing was, well, great. When can Aunt May be available to come in and meet with me? Because I wanted to meet them right away. And, and, and other people had advised me to get to that point, but in earlier on, you know, I was trying to be as accommodating as I could to the most people trying to please people to try to, you know, get a deal done and, and just ended up wasting my time way too many times. You know, and it, it was very interesting to me how um, sometimes these investors, when they did come in, um, their perspective of what they were getting involved in or what they were willing to do was remarkably different from the business buyer who had originally approached me. I, there was one instance, for example, where the man brought his uncle in, who was a well-to-do businessman, had been very successful in his life. And when started to look at the opportunity, he said, whoa, he said, I said I would finance a mortgage on some real estate for a business, yeah. not finance a business acquisition. And it was, it was, uh, I don't know if the, if the buyer had just completely misunderstood or if they had lacked clarity in their conversation before, but once I had him in there and I, I was able to talk with him directly, it, it got clarified right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I was working with a buyer just recently and in this situation, I was representing the buyer, not the seller. And uh, the the seller was crazy in terms of valuation, and I I did a formal valuation and said you know it's nowhere near that. Um, we made an offer, and you know anyway to make a long story short, the buyer uh, the buyers when I asked the buyer where the money was coming from, he said oh he's got an investor, uh, this that and the other. I said well is it debt or equity? And he said what do you mean? So okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should check with your investor what their thought is. Are they are is he going to become your your business partner or is he just lending you some money? And so just making sure, yeah, everyone at the table understands what what they're getting into. Uh, and, and just for everyone who's listening, the the reason why that's so important is because if if you're talking about someone who wants to buy shares in your new venture, that's an equi that's an equity partner, what Stephen just mentioned. But that money doesn't have a cash flow drain on the business. You don't. Um, have to make payments to someone who's a shareholder. And when the bank looks at the deal, if you're going to get a bank loan as well, they're going to look at that as the equity, the, the sort of solid foundation of the, of the balance sheet, as it were. But if it's a loan, then the bank is going to consider that part of the overall debt. And if you don't have enough of your own money, then it just uh, you're going to end up with a weaker foundation for your, for your house, if you want to use that analogy. And the way that bankers often describe this is through what's called a debt to equity ratio. How many dollars of debt per dollar of equity? 
And a general rule when you're talking about businesses, banks like to be around three to one. So if if you don't have a quarter of the overall investment as some form of equity, and and there's all kinds of exceptions to this rule, guys, believe me, if there's real estate involved or, or other specific kinds of assets, th- these numbers can be off. But uh, they want to see that you've got some money of your own invested that basically protects the bank so that you've got room to have losses and have to readjust and everything before you get to the point where you're not able to make your bank loan. And if if your other investor is just going to be making you a loan as well, that's going to require a payment, that doesn't do anything to, to make the bank's position more secure. And so that's, that's why this is such a critical question. Yeah. Um, Michael asked uh, for an example of specificity, and I think, I think we covered that pretty well um, when you were giving your example there. Um, uh, and we have a famous YouTuber here in the audience, Tom Nash, who mm-hmm. does uh, stock market evaluations of publicly traded stock. Hey, Tom, thanks yeah. for stopping by. It's good to see you. Uh, and Michael says, by the way, regarding David's questions, are ageism? I've run into the opposite. Uh, some sellers look at me as being too old to buy their business. He's <laughs> over 60 years old. This, this is interesting um, because I'll tell you uh, on platforms like Clarity, um, I speak to a lot of different people and, and, I've, and I've met Michael before, the, the gentleman just asked the question. Um, and it's interesting because in some places, like in Florida, it seems like there are people who are retirement age who are migrating there for the weather who are coming on the scene. And some of them are buying businesses as like a semi-retirement kind of project. And it seems like there's it's kind of a norm down there. Whereas, you know, we got people like Michael who are running into a problem of people thinking he's too old. I I don't know. Like, um, I, 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 have you ever run into a case where a seller had concern about a buyer being too old? I don't know if I've had a concern. I, I have had, because I mean, the stereotypical transaction is, you know, a 60 something year old owner is selling to a 30 or 40 year old buyer, um, not to exclude the 18 year old buyers out there, but um, but that's sort of a stereotypical transaction that you would think of. I've had situations where we've had, uh, we've had uh, 50 year old sellers selling to 70 year old buyers. I've got this one guy that I talk to once a year. He and I have a phone call. I say, hey, ready to sell yet? He's got a great business. And uh, he says, oh, if I sell, what will I do? And every time we have our conversation, uh, he always turns around and says, so what's for sale? What should I buy? Tell me more about that one or that one or that one. It's like, retire already. (laughs) I I have had the pleasure of meeting several uh, serial entrepreneurs, people who just, they start something and then they... um, uh, get tired of it and they either sell it or it ends up closing or whatnot. And then they do the next thing. And, uh, this one gentleman in particular, he was in his seventies and he started his 13th or 14th business. And, uh, he came to me to sell it three or four years after he had, uh, after he had got it underway. And, um, it, it ended up having a bump in its performance. It was like three good years and then it went down. And then, the buyers that I had kind of scattered and, and became too uh, worried about what had happened. And then it, it rebounded. Uh, and then I wasn't the broker on the scene anymore. He found one of his buddies bought it off of him mm. the year after it rebounded. So, so it, um, it, it works. Got another uh, question here from David. Um, 
what businesses do your most successful clients own overall? I don't see restaurant or entertainment business being one of them. Um, I don't know. I, I've actually had a conversation today. Uh, I've ran into an acquaintance of mine who owns several restaurants and is quite wealthy. And I think that it's maybe just the the people that you get exposed to. Of your buyers, Stephen, how many of them are business owners who are growing through acquisition or adding to a portfolio of a business of businesses versus people who are buying because they want to exit uh, a job somewhere? Um, it's sort of, sort of a mix. I mean, some it's probably half are businesses growing through acquisition. The other half are yeah, individuals looking to uh, get into owning their own business. Uh, maybe tilted a bit more towards individuals buying uh, their their first or second business. Um, but yeah. Any common characteristics among those businesses that are growing through acquisition maybe that we can address to David's question? It's, yeah, it's hard to draw sort of specific parallels. I will add sort of to, to on your point, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's good and bad businesses in every sector. I remember looking at the statistics, and uh, Stats Canada has a great uh, uh, statistical tool that you can see this and and see the sort of uh, performance in each industry sector. Uh, and I'm sure the U.S. Uh, there's U.S. data available as well. And it doesn't matter which uh, SIC code you look at or NAICS code the same dispersion, the, the top 10% are doing really, really well. There's an average that's, uh, you know, people are doing okay. And then the bottom 10% are losing money. And it, it doesn't really matter which industry you look at. Um, obviously, I, I, I'm very familiar with that website. Um, it, it's a great resource. And in fact, some of the American buyers that I work with, I direct them to that website too, because um, <laughs> Because it is so clear and easy to use, and there's so many parallels between you know a given industry business in one side of the border or the other, but uh, you're right; they break it up into quartiles, and yeah. so you can see bottom quartile, second, third, and fourth, and any industry the spread is enormous. Yeah. And uh, I remember one example I was looking up uh, to try to see some benchmark data for someone who was in the drywalling business, and like the bottom two quartiles didn't seem to be the bottom, like the bottom half of the market didn't seem to be making any money in that trade. And the people in the top quartile were doing really well with huge margins. Yeah. And so it really comes down probably to maybe management or quoting, understanding how to bid jobs or, you know, all kinds of things that really come down to who's on the ground, who's watching, you know, what's going on, who's, who's signing the contracts and making the deals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this has been awesome, uh, Stephen. Uh, where can people f find out more about uh, about your business and learn more about you? Uh, well, we have a website, of course. It's uh, Beal, just my last name, businessbrokers with an S in the end, uh, dot C-A. And so if you go there, you can see our current listings. You can, we have two uh, books that can be downloaded, one for sellers, one for buyers. 
uh, useful information in both um, and just sort of talk about the process and things to to avoid it also has a both of them have a glossary so defined some of the terminology um, David was talking about the difference in debt and equity so it gets into those types of things or EBITDA or discretionary earnings all these all these terminologies that we throw around and assume people know what we're talking about but uh, but they're useful to know if uh, certainly if you're looking to buy a business for the first time it's important to understand what you're looking at uh, I, I know uh, again when I started people would say well, I saw this ad and it said the the cash flow was X does that mean is that money I can take into the bank it's like okay well it depends on how it's advertised you know cash someone might say cash flow is a million dollars but that's not necessarily that's not necessarily profits or whatever so all, all there's all sorts of terminology and and different people use uh, use the terminology differently so it's important to understand what people mean when they say the profit is this or the cash flow is this one of my most watched videos is one it's a uh, it's it's uh, SDE versus EBITDA or why SDE is not cash flow and yeah. uh, and it breaks it down and explains to people because you're right a, a lot of people get into this market and they think they see that number and they think that's what's going to end up in my pocket, not realizing that it's usually uh, that's actually your budget for taking home a paycheck, paying taxes, servicing debt, doing CapEx. Like there's a lot of stuff that you have to pay for as an owner out of that cash flow number. The reason why the industry is settled on presenting that number is because it's the sort of the common ground where, um, you know, after all the discretionary choices and how a business is run have been unwound that's sort of the starting point where a buyer has to be able to cover all those things I just mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, listen, everyone, if, uh, if you're over on Twitter, come and find me. I'm at D Barnett Moncton and I'm tweeting all the time about businesses and small business and deal making and stuff. And uh, if you're curious about learning how to buy a business, uh, head over to business buyer advantage where you can learn all about my, my program and how I help people buy businesses and sign up for the online course. And, uh, and with that, I'm going to say see you later and thanks for joining me. Don't forget to, forget to hit the thumbs up button. It really does help with the algorithm uh, for all the different social media platforms. And Stephen, I'll, I'll once again say thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank, thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, talk to you later. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, et cetera. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs jeffalpod.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.